In the five towns the following history is related by those who know it as something side-splittingly funny, as one of the best jokes that ever occurred in a district devoted to jokes. And I, too, have hitherto regarded it as such. But upon my soul, now that I come to write it down, it strikes me as being, after all, a pretty grim tragedy. However, you shall judge, and laugh or cry as you please. It began in the little house of Mrs. Carpole, up at Bleak Ridge, on the hill between Bursley and Honbridge. Mrs. Carpole was the second Mrs. Carpole, and her husband was dead. She had a stepson, Horace, and a son of her own, Sidney. Horace is the hero, or the villain, of the history. On the day when the unfortunate affair began he was nineteen years old, and a model youth. Not only was he getting on in business, not only did he give half his evenings to the study of the chemistry of pottery, and the other half to various secretaryships in connection with the Wesleyan Methodist Chapel and Sunday School, not only did he save money, not only was he a comfort to his stepmother and a sort of uncle to Sidney, not only was he an early riser, a total abstainer, a non-smoker, and a good listener, but, in addition to the practice of these manifold and rare virtues, he found time, even at that tender age, to pay his tailor's bill promptly, and to fold his trousers in the same crease every night so that he always looked neat and dignified. Strange to say, he made no friends. Perhaps he was just a thought too perfect for a district like the five towns a sin or so might have endeared him to the entire neighborhood. Perhaps his loneliness was due to his imperfect sense of humor, or perhaps to the dull, unsmiling heaviness of his somewhat flat features. Sidney was quite a different story. Sidney, to use his mother's phrase, was a little jockey. His years were then eight. Fair-haired and blue-eyed, as most little jockeys are, he had a smile, and a scowl that were equally effective in tyrannizing over both his mother and Horace, and he was beloved by everybody. Women turned to look at him in the street. Unhappily, his health was not good. He was afflicted by a slight deafness, which, however, the doctor said he would grow out of, the doctor predicted for him a lusty manhood. In the meantime, he caught every disease that happened to be about, and nearly died of each one. His latest acquisition had been scarlet fever. Now one afternoon, after he had peeled and his room had been disinfected, and he was beginning to walk again, Horace came home and decided that Sidney should be brought downstairs for tea as a treat, to celebrate his convalescence, and that he, Horace, would carry him downstairs. Mrs. Carpole was delighted with the idea, and Sidney also except that Sidney did not want to be carried downstairs he wanted to walk down. I think it will be better for him to walk, Horace dear, said Mrs. Carpole, in her thin, plaintive voice. He can, quite well. And you know how clumsy you are. Supposing you were to fall. Horace, nevertheless, in pursuance of his program of being uncle to Sidney, was determined to carry Sidney. And carry Sidney he did, despite warnings and kickings. At least he carried him as far as the turn in the steep stairs, at which point he fell, just as his stepmother had feared, and Sidney with him. The half-brothers arrived on the ground floor in company, but Horace, with his eleven stone too, was on top, 
and the poor suffering little convalescent lay moveless and insensible. It took the doctor forty minutes to bring him to, and all the time the odor of grilled herrings, which formed part of the uneaten tea, made itself felt through the house like a satanic comment on the spectacle of human life. The scene was dreadful at first. The agony then passed. There were no bruises on the boy, not a mark, and in a couple of hours he seemed to be perfectly himself. Horace breathed again, and thanked heaven it was no worse. His gratitude to heaven was, however, slightly premature, for in the black middle of the night poor Sidney was seized with excruciating pains in the head, and the doctor lost four hours sleep. These pains returned at intervals of a few days, and naturally the child's convalescence was retarded. Then Horace said that Ayres Carpole should take Sidney to Buxton for a fortnight, and he paid all the expenses of the trip out of his savings. He was desolated, utterly stricken, he said he should never forgive himself. Sidney improved, slowly. After several months, during which Horace had given up all his limited spare time to the superintendence of the child's first steps in knowledge, Sidney was judged to be sufficiently strong to go to school, and it was arranged that he should attend the endowed school at the Wedgwood Institution. Horace accompanied him thither on the opening day of the term it was an inclement morning in January, and left the young delicate sprig, apparently joyous and content, to the care of his masters and the mercy of his companions. But Sidney came home for dinner weeping weeping in spite of his new mortar-board cap, his new satchel, his new box of compasses, and his new books. His mother kept him at home in the afternoon and by the evening another of those terrible attacks had supervened. The doctor and Horace and Mrs. Carpole once more lost much precious sleep. The mysterious malady continued. School was out of the question. And when Sidney took the air, in charge of his mother, everybody stopped to sympathize with him, and to stroke his curls and call him a poor dear, and also to commiserate Mrs. Carpole. As for Horace, Bursley tried to feel sorry for Horace, but it only succeeded in showing Horace that it was hiding a sentiment of indignation against him. Each friendly face as it passed Horace in the street said, without words, there goes the youth who probably ruined his young stepbrother's life. And through sheer obstinacy too. He dropped the little darling in spite of warnings and protests, and then fell on the top of him. Of course, he didn't do it on purpose but the doctor mentioned Greatorex of Manchester, the celebrated brain specialist. And Horace took Sidney to Manchester. They had to wait an hour and a quarter to see Greatorex, his well-known consulting rooms in John Dalton Street being crowded with imperfect brains, but their turn came at last, and they found themselves in Greatorex's presence. Greatorex was a fat man, with the voice of a thin man, who seemed to spend the whole of his career in the care of his fingernails. Well, my little fellow, said Greatorex, don't cry. For Sidney was already crying. And then to Horace in a curt tone, what is it? And Horace was obliged to humiliate himself and relate the accident in detail, together with all that had subsequently happened. Yes, 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 yes. Greatorex would punctuate the recital, and when tired of yes he would say hum, 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 hum. 
When he had said him seventy-two times he suddenly remarked that his fee was three guineas, and told Horace to strengthen Sidney all he could, not to work him too hard, and to bring him back in a year's time. Horace paid the money, Greatorex emitted a final hum, and then the stepbrothers were whisked out by an expeditious footman. The experience cost Horace over four pounds, and the loss of a day's time. And the worst was that Sidney had a violent attack that very night. School being impossible for him, Sidney had intermittent instruction from professors of both sexes at home. But he learnt practically nothing except the banjo. Horace had to buy him a banjo, it cost the best part of a ten-pound note, still, Horace could do no less. Sidney's stature grew rapidly, his general health certainly improved, yet not completely, he always had a fragile, interesting air. Moreover, his deafness did not disappear, there were occasions when it was extremely pronounced. And he was never quite safe from these attacks in the head. He spent a month or six weeks each year in the expensive bracing atmosphere of some seaside resort, and altogether he was decidedly a heavy drain on Horace's resources. People were aware of this, and they said that Horace ought to be happy that he was in a position to spend money freely on his poor brother. Had not the doctor predicted, before the catastrophe due to Horace's culpable negligence, that Sidney would grow into a strong man, and that his deafness would leave him? The truth was, one never knew the end of those accidents in infancy. Further, was not Sidney's sad condition slowly killing his mother? It was whispered about that, since the disaster, Sidney had not been quite sound mentally. Was not the mere suspicion of this enough to kill any mother? And, as a fact, Mrs. Carpole did die. She died of quinsy, doubtless aggravated by Sidney's sad condition. Not long afterwards Horace came into a small fortune from his maternal grandfather. But poor Sidney did not come into any fortune, and people somehow illogically inferred that Horace had not behaved quite nicely in coming into a fortune while his suffering invalid brother, whom he had so deeply harmed, came into nothing. Even Horace had compunctions due to the visitations of a similar idea. And with part of the fortune he bought a house with a large garden up at Toft End, the highest hill of the hilly five towns, so that Sydney might have the benefit of the air. He also engaged a housekeeper and servants. With the remainder of the fortune he obtained a partnership in the firm of earthenware manufacturers for whom he had been acting as highly paid manager.